Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show today. This week, I am talking with my friend and fellow guitarist, Jason Brooks. Jason and I met while working on the TV show Nashville together a few years ago. Jason has toured all over the world and played on multiple talk shows as a guitar player for some of today's most popular country artists, including Cassidy Pope, Daniel Bradbury, Maddie and Tay, Mickey Guyton, and many more. We are discussing how to play to the strength of your amp, because we're guitar players, and how to go about getting an endorsement deal, and the importance of being available in order to get gigs. Please enjoy my conversation today with Jason Brooks. All right, guys, I'm hanging out with my friend Jason Brooks. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? It's good. I'm good. Um, It's good to see you. We haven't seen each other in like four years. It's something like that, yeah. You know, it's been a few years since we got to hang out, and um, we actually met on the Nashville TV show. Yeah, that's correct. We played on that show together in a couple different bands. I think we were a couple different ones, I believe, I feel like. I think so. Um, maybe maybe the uh, Christina Aguilera one, and then the sort of the main one, I think we were in the uh, um, Hayden Panettiere one. No, I I, you did you did Hayden. I, I was not in Hayden's band. Okay. Um, I did a few different ones, but I remember that we played on the fake, uh, the quote-unquote, the fake CMA awards. Like yeah. um, the Raina James... Uh, tribute one after she after she died. If anybody's right. listening, and I've run the show for you, it's a little late. It's <laughs> been a few years now, but um, I know that we both played on that episode. Yeah, and um, so I remember that. And then found out afterwards because I was playing for a country artist um, at the time, and found out that you had a connection to the artist because of a mutual friend named Shay Watson. That That's you right. and I both, I've known him for since I moved to town in 2000, so it's been a long, long time since he, we've known each other, and found out that you actually played for him and his sort of duo that he had at the time, I think. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I think they were called Watson and Nash. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was like, I mean, that might have been 12 or 13 years ago now, so yeah. I've known him a very long time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I've known him for over 20 years, and um, so I just, man, it's like, what a small world. Yeah. Right? Especially being in Nashville. It's like everybody knows everybody. Even if you don't realize you know everybody, you kind of, we're all connected. You know, it's like that six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon sort of thing. Yeah. You know, we're, uh, it doesn't take, take too long to figure out how we all know each other. And, uh, but that makes it more fun. It's like when you realize, oh, yeah, we know each other because of this person here and this person here. Um, and then all of a sudden you got this connection. And, and we talk about a lot in this show that this town is built on relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can do things that you may not 
be able to have done beforehand because you realize, oh, I've got a relationship with somebody or we have a mutual friend or whatever. And, and so that instills an automatic trust to some degree in people. Wouldn't you, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think that uh, trust is when you're hiring just someone you've never met before, it's like you're really oftentimes you're taking the word of your friend who's recommending them. So um, it, there's, there's so much trust, you know, I think involved with, you know, like having a mutual friend and stuff. Yeah. Well, just like even working on the show Nashville, Sherry Gibson, the lady that would hire all of us to come in and play. It's like, well, we met on the show. We didn't know each other before that, but because of Sherry, you know, we all, all of us trust Sherry. She's amazing. Yes. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, if she, if she believes in, you, I'm going to believe in you automatically, <laughs> you know, it's like, cause she just, there's a high level of trust with her, you know, and she's such a sweet lady and, uh, enjoyed working with her so much on that show. Anyway, we can sit and just kind of hash, you know, memories for forever here. Right. Um, but l- let's get to the, the main reason why you're on the show. I wanted to bring you on, um, cause you're a guitar player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you do a lot of things. You produce and do different stuff. But uh, first and foremost, you're a guitar player, lead, mostly lead guitar, I think, um, for different artists mm-hmm. around town and um, touring all over the country, all over the world. Yes. Yeah. Have you, you been all over the world? Yeah. Um, been been international several times. So okay. it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get your story of, you know, what got you into music and what has led you down the path that you've taken in music and what brought you to Nashville and, you know, and share some, some of your wonderful advice that you can give to our listeners for the guys and, and gals that want to do what you have done throughout your career. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just kind of go back to the beginning. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what got you on this path to begin with. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name's uh, Jason Brooks, as you heard, and uh, uh, I'm a guitar player here in Nashville. Uh, I've lived here about 15 years or so, um, and uh, I've been touring, I'd say, at a national level around 10 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, like I was um, born in South Korea, um, and uh, I was adopted three months old. Um, I don't know what city I was born in, but I can tell you the state is sort of this weird thing how my birth certificate only has its... Um, uh, the state on it from Korea, which is interesting. Okay. But, uh, yeah, um, was adopted three months old, uh, to a, a wonderful family in, um, Washington DC area. And, um, uh, they're not, they were not very musical, but my dad listened to a lot of music, a lot of classic rock growing up. So, um, like really the first memories of any kind of music was like him playing the vinyl of Sgt. Pepper and like, uh, Abbey Road, um, like four by Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, yeah. you know, like in a very sort of formative time, you know, I was sort of introduced to sort of the, the bones of what, you know, music is built off of in some ways, you know? And, um, that that probably was more of a bigger experience, I think, than or bigger influence than really anything of uh, in terms of like instrumentation early on, because uh, it really just tuned my ear to you know things I liked, and I, I guess you could consider it good music. I think that most people would consider the Beatles and Pink Floyd and stuff like that like good music, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, classic rock was always on in the car, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, I took some piano lessons growing up, but it wasn't really anything. Improv- improvisational or really special or anything like that. I was just sort of, it gave me a basis of like music theory and stuff, but b- both of those two things were sort of in these, these sort of like different lanes of where I was listening to a lot of music, but then I was playing these uh, classical pieces. And um, at just some point around like when I was about, 
14 or 15, it all kind of like sort of crossed over. Um, I started playing uh, in my church, um, playing piano, actually. And um, uh, that's when I started being able to apply sort of all these sounds and all these things I've been hearing for years and years and years. You know, like suddenly I had this way to like sort of uh, express the, the sounds I was hearing in my own head, you know, through through in a band setting and not just reading classical music and just doing whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh um, uh, about that point I picked up playing guitar. Um, I think I started playing around 15 or 16. Um, and, uh, also around that time, uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine who was like, um, we were all looking at going to college and he was, I was like, where are you going? And he was like, well, uh, I'm looking at Belmont university to which I was like, what's Belmont university, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he was like, well, it's a school you can go to, uh, they'll teach you how to be a record producer. And I was like, that's sick. <laughs> Right. You know? Yeah. So uh, um, looked into, because I, I sort of knew I wanted to be more of an instrumentalist sort of from that angle, even at that age. Um, and so I looked into it and they had a guitar program so and a piano program. So um, my, my sort of ambitious uh, notion was to go and double major in both, which when I got there, they were like, they were like you should probably pick one because you will not sleep at all, you know, which was certainly true. So uh, yeah. um, actually... I actually toured the campus uh, as a piano play major and as a guitar major to see which one I liked better. I just decided to go with the guitar one because um, it seemed like more people were working down in Nashville as a guitar player than a keyboard player, which I'm not sure if that's true or not, but um, when I, we went out after touring the school and we saw bands, I remember seeing two guitar players for every band and zero keyboard players for every band. Um, and we were just going downtown to like lower Broadway. But even then I sort of had this notion of like, it would probably be more, it'd probably be better to focus on guitar as like my concentration because it seems like there's more demand for it in Nashville. Right. Um, so that was sort of the choice. Um, I went through school as a guitar player and um, uh, I ended up switching out to music business because I just started working and it, it sort of seemed like I should be working, taking a job as a guitar player in college rather than studying to be a uh, guitar player in college so i made that sort of um i guess decision to um to sort of have a backup plan my notion was to uh work at a record label as my like backup plan so i got okay. a uh, um a degree in music business uh ultimately um but fortunately uh the reason why you go to belmont is because there's so many connections to be made you know there's so many future um uh, label people, management people, um, publishing, publishing folks, um, like future players, future artists. Like when I was going there, like, like Florida Georgia line, the two guys were going there. They weren't music people, but like, like I knew them, you know, like, uh, uh, and so, I mean, it, it's not like I've ever gotten a call to play for them, but that's sort of an example of how, but you guys went to college together. So you knew each other around each other and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, like, I, I run into people all the time who are, like, you know, VPs of publishing now and, um, you know, like, hit songwriters and stuff like that. And, you know, we were all just kind of milling around in Belmont together. Mm -hmm. um, but th that goes to, we, I've talked about this before in some other episodes where um, some other, another friend of mine who went to Belmont as well, and we talked about, you know, rising boats together. The people kind of come up as sort of your, your quote-unquote, your class of people, mm -hmm. you know. And so as you're coming up with these other people and they start creating their, um, their careers and you guys are always aware of each other, even if you're not 
necessarily working together all the time mm-hmm. um, or around each other that often. You you're you know each other. You got that connection. You got that relationship, and so you can reach out to somebody and call them up and say, "Hey, ask this question or refer someone to, to them or whatever." And so it's that relational thing, and um, you know that's been a cool thing to kind of as I've had guests on the show over the years mm-hmm. is to kind of find that out and see how that has worked for people and just how those connections work. And that's how, and that's what makes this, the town so much smaller, you yeah. know, because it's a small, it, you know, the, the world shrinks a little bit mm-hmm. when you all know each other. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I've, I've, this isn't my phrase, but I've heard it described as, um, like, it's like a, the music industry is almost a town within a town. Kind of like right. what you said, where it's like, you know, like there's, there's this small community of, of, music industry people and they all we all associate with the people so much uh, with each other so much that it's like you know sometimes it feels like we might be the only people in Nashville which is not true at all um but um yeah it's like it's almost like a small I almost think of it as like a like a large company you know like like a like a size of like Amazon or something like that you know where it's like everyone's in the music industry so we're all under the sort of same roof of like this sort of company you know and um you know, like in large companies, I'm sure that you don't see someone every day, but you know, like, you know, they're over there and you know, you know they're working, they're yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And you know what they're doing and yeah. you nominally can kind of keep track of what's going on. You know, um, I feel like social media is a big part of that now to where keeping track of, not keeping track, but like to keep up with people, Yeah, you know, to like, uh, um, it's a very useful sort of um, networking tool. Sure. You know, whereas, whereas before I feel like perhaps the the best way to do it was to, was to be to go out to shows and just see the people face to face. Where now you know you can send them a meme or <laughs> tag mm-hmm. them in something and you know sort of still still keep up that relationship a little bit. Sure. So once you uh, well, let me ask you this: when you were at Belmont still and you were you moved over to the music business side of things because you you said you wanted to maybe work in a, a label or something. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do any internships during that time frame? Uh, I did not do an internship and that's probably the biggest regret I have from Belmont okay. is um, t- not taking advantage of the music business internship program, which um, they'll place, they, they just t- take interns and they'll put them in uh, pu- working as grunt, grunt work and labels and, and management position, uh, management places and, yeah. uh, publishing houses and you know you you may end up like working with some guy in in the room that ends up becoming the vp in a couple years or something like that you know and so just showing your face around the office it really gives you a great opportunity you know so let me ask you this why why is that your biggest regret to not have done 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 an internship like what do you think you missed out on by not doing that hmm uh it's it's certainly a really great program. It's probably it might be the best program that they have there is their internship program. Um, so to not take advantage of something like that is something that um, I sort of regret. But um, also, you know, like it 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 would have been a lot of valuable experience to see the in the internal workings of something um, like a label or management or publishing house or something like that you know like because you know my experience with those places are really from the outside and from the classes i had at belmont about you know like this is how the music industry is structured and stuff like that you know to to see the internal workings of things i think would have been very useful for someone like me um especially as time goes on and you you deal with more with publishing houses and management labels much much more you know Mm -hmm. um 
it's just sort of a, an opportunity wasted and I really hate wasting opportunities because yeah. um, I'm sure it's, it's, you know, like opportunities don't come around often and it's, it's like, I feel like a big factor of success is to know when to grab an opportunity. You yeah. Know? Cause some, there are 10, 20 people behind you waiting in line to take that opportunity if you don't take it. Yes. Right? And absolutely. if you don't take it, it's pretty much gone because there's someone else is there is ready for it. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many gigs I've passed on that I've thought, thought about like even a couple hours later, like, hmm, maybe I should have taken that. And you text them back or call back the person. They're like, oh yeah, we already have someone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so um, when you get a call, you know, especially when you get a, a call for an artist that uh, maybe has a record deal or, or um, you know, like it, maybe it's going on a tour or something like that, you know, you really only have uh, that time on that call and maybe a couple minutes after that to really make a decision whether you're going to take this, take this gig or not, you know, because it's like, um, because like you said, it's like, there's so many people that want to do it. And so many people who are, um, um, capable and, um, so competent that, you know, so let's, uh, I want to come back to that. So let's, let's discuss that some more in detail here in a minute. Let's, let's back up just a little bit. Um, after you got out of college and started you started playing for other people mm-hmm. at that point. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, that's correct. Um, so um, I was playing down on Broadway um, my last year or two at Belmont, just so I had like income and a job and stuff like that. And okay. um, once I got out of there, I played down there about a year, and then um, like we were talking about with connections, just a friend of mine who I, I had done a I had done a bank gig for at noon on a Sunday at one point and it was like four hours of music. It was like, it was, it was not the most ideal situation. If you want to like bring the rock, like I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, uh, when you get started, you have to, you know, you have to know where your place is and, and work your way up for sure. Um, the guy that I subbed for, he ended up having to miss like two months on a tour. Um, there's this, there's this dual act, um, on Warner that, um, was opening for Jason Aldean and he called me and he, he couldn't make those two months. So that was my end to the music industry was just some random gig. I did a guy called me up and was like, Hey, I need you to come out and play, you know, for 15,000 people every night. <laughs> really? Months. So for Jason Aldean uh, or opening for Jason or Aldean. opening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was your, that was your, your opening opportunity in, <laughs> yeah. the, in the business was playing for 15,000 people every night. That's good. Yeah, it's, it was crazy. Um, you know, there's, it's, sometimes it's just better to be lucky than good. You yeah. know, um, oftentimes that's not really the way it happens, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I th- that's one of those things where we talk about on the show pretty often is that the importance of being in a music town. You know, if you're going to be a, if you want to play professionally, now being, being an artist, you don't have to live in Nashville or New York or LA or whatever, because mm-hmm. you can do that anywhere. Right. Um, but if you're wanting to play for the signed artists, you know, that are out touring and doing those types of things and you're wanting to play in arenas and whatever, mm-hmm. then you need to be in Nashville or L.A. or a big a big music city that's doing those things. Right. And you don't get the opportunity to have someone say, hey, I can't make it. Can you come play for 15,000 people first time out the, the first time out the gate? Right. Um, that's one of those things where you have to be here for those things to happen, correct? Would you agree with that? Yes, I would say that if you're if you're trying to pursue music, then you probably have to be in one of those cities. Um, and uh, there's certain other cities I've uh, understand that are, are 
are good too if you're pursuing like songwriting or something like that for toronto might be a place to like go for that but um because because no one's really because when someone looks for a, a guitar player in a situation particularly if it's a last minute situation they're not really looking for people who are in uh, Kansas City or in Minneapolis, they need someone who can get on the bus sometimes like that night, yep, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, like the benefits of being in a, in a city of an industry that you want to break into, I think is just paramount because um, you're making connections, you know, like you're having your face, you, you, you increase your opportunity to, um, uh, for random encounters, you know, which are just straight up opportunities, you know, um, yeah. you, uh, and yeah, it's like, if you're really wanting to tour, then, you know, like even even Atlanta, which is close to Nashville, no one's no one's really looking there unless they have roots there or something like that. You know? Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you're wanting to play for someone else or work in publishing or label, or whatever, it really you really do need to be um, in one of these cities that you know where those things are taking place. Mm-hmm. It's just the opportunities aren't there if you're if you live out you know in the country or you know a small town or whatever. And I grew up in. I grew up like two hours away from Nashville, you know. There was a lot, there was a, a pretty decent music scene where I'm from, um, and so we were out playing all the time. But you know, there's no way that I was going to be able to go out and play for a major label artist living two hours away because mm-hmm. they're not going to they're just not going to call me um, to do that, you know, because you're just not around those people. You don't hear about the opportunities, and you definitely can't get on a bus the same night. If that if that happens, and that's what happened, basically happened to you. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but I've certainly done those before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. I mean, availability is really a, such an essential thing for uh, the opportunity grasping. I guess you can call it, where it's like you know, like you just have to be your ability to say yes is really really your best weapon when you move to town, I feel like, because, you know, like, uh, many people who are more established, you know, like they have, um, obligations and, you know, like preexisting gigs that, you know, like you, you may not be able to step off of for like a gig or two or something like that, you know? And, um, so to be available more as, as like a, someone who just moves to town and, um, you know, it's, and really the ability to say yes, I think is such a huge weapon, you know, yeah, it's such a key thing. That brings up my next point. If if your first opportunity, true opportunity in Nashville to be a guitar player, a touring art guitar player, uh, is to go out and, and open for Jason Aldean and, you know, 15,000 people, and you're doing this for a couple of months, is that right? Yeah, I ended up doing the whole tour, so we did 30 or 40 dates, Okay, I, th- I think. Um, now, once you are, you're playing at that level... Out, of, out the gate, mm-hmm. right? Um, does that make the next artist that you play for, the next phone calls you start getting, does that make that easier? Or you're automatically playing bigger gigs because of that? Or do you step back, quote unquote, step down a level um, and play with smaller artists and have to work your way back up? Does, there, does that make a difference to you? Like, how did that work for you? Uh, well, I would say it worked the second way more than the first way right. for me. Just kind of stepping backwards a little bit? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, no, no, I mean, I had a lot of fun and it was, it was work, which, I mean, for someone that new to only have one thing on my resume, like, like it was very appropriate to, to my level of, of um, experience, okay. I think. Um, but um, I, I sort of feel like while, while getting a, a very big gig 
or at least having having a, a larger opportunity than you might have had otherwise initially like while that may help a little bit from like name re recognition and um networking because you're meeting a lot of people um i do think that pretty much every every at least touring gig you get you start at the beginning again where it's like um you know, like, like once, like that, the, the gig where we were opening for, um, Aldine was like, um, it only lasted about a year. And so once that was done, it was like, I had to kind of start over again and be like, well, I have to start networking again. So I was out beating, beating the bushes for work. I think that's how the saying yeah. goes. While it helps and it certainly, you know, it gives you more, I would say arrows in your quiver in terms of like your networking skills or networking sort of like punches you can throw like um i, I it, it really just comes down to who you know so you know like if if you don't know anyone once that gig ends that are looking for work then you're kind of just back to where you started again you know okay so um i i think that it's i think it's really paramount that when you do find success that you continue to grow it because like to 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 rest on your laurels, I think, is puts you in a really sets you up for like a really bad situation in the end, you know, yeah. um, because it's like you can ride you can ride the success of what you're doing if you're on a on a gig like that or something. But it, it it you're sort of reaping the rewards of like all the prep that you did beforehand, all the networking that like we've been talking about and um, all that stuff. Um, but once you've reaped that, if you aren't on that when you're on that gig and you're not sowing more seeds it's like you know once you get off of there you're like wow you're like i have, I have nothing left so the artist that you were playing for and you haven't mentioned who it is so i'm not going to ask you because we may not need to know about that but have you noticed that you know when that tour ended would you normally have gone on tour with that artist again and just kept going because granted, you know, yeah, they're opening for a major label artist for this particular tour. Once that tour ends, they're going to keep touring mm -hmm. unless they get dropped by, from their label, mm -hmm. you know, but did you get the opportunity to keep touring with this artist or did that just, they go a different direction and you said, well, I'm going to do this instead. Like, how does, how did that sort of work out for you? Um, well, in this particular, in that particular situation, the, the artist decided to call it quits. Okay. Um, so it was just sort of a hard, uh, ending to it. Okay. Um, so, uh, in, I think in a different situation had, had you known there was like, like, a, like had they let us know ahead of time, there was an end date coming, then you would be able to, uh, um, make some plans, you know, maybe pop on another tour mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, in that particular case, it was just one of those things where it just sort of ended. And it was like, you know, yeah. I was like, you know, like I had I had a year of like really great work happening. I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm just back to where I was before. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, man, what an interesting discussion that becomes now. It's like you've got, and so I would love to kind of just hear your thoughts on this, being kind of living that out. Okay, you got to spend a year out, opening for a major country artist all over the, the country, mm -hmm. um, doing arenas and all this stuff, everything that you could dream him of as, you know, as a player, as an, and as an artist for whoever the artist was. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they decide they're going to quit. Mm -hmm. Like you're out, you know, it's like, wait, why, why are you all of a sudden quitting? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, granted there's lots of reasonings that could be behind that, that we don't know. And it's none of our business, but I'm curious kind of what that, perspective is from you to have lived that and to kind of see okay here's what the artist is dealing with can you give some insight on to what that what that looks like does that make sense 
Yeah, um, I, I give my perspective yeah. on it for sure. Um, uh, in this particular instance, I mean, it was one of those things where like they've been working so hard for so long. I think they were just really tired. <laughs> you know, they were just like, we can't do this anymore. Okay. Um, but um, from my perspective, you know, like uh, it, it was it was very it was very interesting having that be my first sort of. Um, gig sort of situation because uh, I got to see like all the highs you know and I got to see it all end very quickly which was a good primer for just how really a lot of things sort of end in the music industry it's yeah, not the reality of it yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like because like you know like I, I feel like I feel like oftentimes it's like things will just end quickly you know mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of warning so you know you sort of have to be prepared for you know in your own business to like you know make sure that you can survive stuff like that mm -hmm. you know but uh um I, I basically, fortunately, I just rinsed and repeated how I got my the the gig initially. Anyway, where it's just networking, playing for people, and stuff like that. And um, uh, fortunately, it led to um, another artist, which led to another artist. And you know, like you, as it goes, you know, like it's just sort of just you can just sort of build from there. You know. Yeah. So, um, so after that artist, and you're now you you get back out. You're you're pounding the pavement and trying just networking again, mm -hmm. trying to create you know, opportunities. Um, let's, let's talk about what that looks like. How are you, how are you going about networking? How are you reaching out to people? What are you letting them know about you or telling them, you know, that they need, here's why you need me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I feel like networking and this isn't, this isn't my phrase and I don't think this is specific to the music industry, but, um, you're certainly networking is just selling yourself in the end, I mm -hmm. think, you know, and, um, I, I think that, I think that overselling yourself or selling yourself too hard can certainly come back to bite you, mm -hmm. you know, like that's, you know, things, maybe things not to do is like, yep. come on too hard about, you know, needing, needing work or something like that, which, you know, at the time, you know, I certainly did, but, you know, like you just have to be careful not to like turn off people by, you know, like your enthusiasm, you know, right. because like, um, I, I feel like there's a lot of like very positive drivers that can actually end up turning your image negative in the end. Like things like, you know, like being like uh, uh, super, not aggressive, but like really like sticking with things, you know, like if you're really good at sticking with something, you know, like that's, that's really great, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of rejection in the music industry, you know, mm -hmm. um, I've, I have a lot of rejection to come for sure. <laughs> but um you can certainly like if you like push too hard, you know, like um, you know, like if if someone, for instance, were to come to me and just was begging me for begging me for a gig, then I would I would sort of question their motives about why why is this you know do they really you know is you know what's the motivation here you know like versus like if it happened a little more naturally, I would trust the person more, you know, and it's just you know it's really just how you come off, you know, um, you know like uh, networking is a very sort of um, very gentle sort of thing I feel like you know because mm -hmm. like when I when I try and network I don't really think of it as that anymore anyway just because it's like you know like because I, I start trying to, I find myself falling into the, tra into the trap of trying to uh make make the connection and try and get something out of it where you know and I feel like people feel that and are very sensitive to that sort of like uh, um motivation so you know i feel like if you just you get to know people you know and just let them know that you're looking for work you know at some point you know like i think that's all you really have to do you know at least as a musician you know yeah um you know like if you're if you're just moved to town then maybe give some you know like i would i would say maybe throw in some like here's what i've done sort of things but you know nothing too aggressive i think you know like i think people trust 
other people more when you're just, you know, just natural with them. And, you know, you know, like you kind of, you come you, people can see you as like a friend later because mm -hmm. that's what it's really going to be. You know, sure. You hope that, you know, like it's not going to be a one sided relationship from, from the person who's being networked with, you right. know? Yep. Um, yeah. All right. Here's, here's the big question. You ready? Yeah. Do you do business cards or do you not do business cards as a, as a musician? Ooh, as a musician <laughs> or as a art, as an artist, as a player, anything. Yeah. What? Cause you go to guitar center or you go to a music store and you see the bulletin board up in the back hallway mm -hmm. and you know, and then there's all of these business cards that people put up and I'm a guitar player, I'm a musician, or I'm whatever. And um, you see that and you think, is that professional? It, I mean, it looks professional from, from, Hey, I got a business card, but do people actually do that in the music business? Do people that are actually playing for a living and out touring and doing whatever, do they really work off a business card? I'm just curious to what your thoughts are. I've got my opinion on it, but I would love to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Um, so my, my experience, my opinion is that for players, especially when like you're first starting out, like, I mean, it's good to have a business card, I think, but generally I feel like with musicians, business cards just get thrown away without getting looked at. Yeah. Um, I find that um, it's much better to hand someone your phone and be like, put my number in and let me text you back or something like that. You know? Sure. Um, because then you have the connection already made and you don't have to, you know, there's not even that extra step there of like reading a business card and then texting later and be like, Hey, it's, it's, it's Jason, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we met, we met at uh, McDonald's or whatever. Um, uh, I'll say that for, if you want to be a producer, probably business cards would be a good idea because mm -hmm. it gives you a little bit more cre credibility, you know, because okay. you're working with clients and stuff. But from a peer to peer standpoint, I find that business cards get thrown out pretty much all the time. Like I would say one, like, 19 out of 20 times. Yeah. So um, if you're going to network, use, use the phone for right. sure. Definitely. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Um, I just, that just popped in my head. I don't know why I asked that question, but I thought, I'm just going to, I've never asked that question before, I don't think. So I just wanted your opinion on that. So it's a good question. <laughs> um, I think it's different for everyone. You know, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, that's true. It depends on what you, who you are and what you're doing. I think it really, really does. Um, a lot of times business cards get a lot of flack. And a lot of times it, it's because they get they get flacked because they don't look good, and mm -hmm. it looks like you're trying too hard. Sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, but again, it depends on what it is that you're trying to accomplish with what you're doing. So, um, just just a random question I had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's on every musician's mind. You know, even now, you know, yeah. like in Nashville, because there, there there is that question of it's like, are you desperate because you're like, take my card, please? You know? Right. Because there's arguments for both of them. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's talk about some of the artists that you've played with. Tell us who you've who you've worked with over the years. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let's see. So there's there's artists I've played with sort of in a more long term capacity, and then there's artists I've just sort of worked with a couple times. Sure. In terms of like lo long term, and I'll I'll just say long term is like longer than I don't know six months. Um, like acts like like Cassidy Pope, which is my current employer. Um, uh, Mickey Guyton, uh, Maddie and Tay, uh, Daniel Bradbury has been sort of in the last sort of six or seven years. Okay. Um, love Daniel Bradbury. Daniel's, Daniel's amazing. Like the, the amount of talent that she has is yeah. astounding. She's got one of my favorite voices ever. She really does. Her, her second album, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite voices. Like I, 
she needs to be all over radio way more than she is, I think. Yeah, she's uh she's an insane writer too. Insane in a good way. Like um like that album that you just mentioned, like um the writing is so good and I mean she's she's really a catalyst. I felt like she was really a catalyst for that record. So yeah, I'm a big admirer of her uh, her music for sure. Yeah. So uh, Maddie and Tay love them. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Guyton, she and she's really kind of exploded the past couple of years really yeah i feel like um and you see so you've worked with her and cassidy pope of course cassidy um people will know her from the voice mm-hmm. originally i think that's kind of where most people will know her from and she's uh incredible artist as well um so those are some of the long-term bigger name artists but you don't always work with big name artists you work with a lot of indie artists as well um so how do you get connected are, are people reaching out to you specifically now um, and how are they how are they finding you and how do you decide whether or not you want to work with someone someone whether it be uh, an indie artist or uh, a label artist that you're out touring with that everybody knows yeah totally um, so uh, I, I do play with a lot of uh, independent artists um, it's sort of a mix between um, the independent artist who doesn't have a deal they're not really looking for a deal but they want to play music um, and then the other side of that coin of independent artists would be artists who are moving to town and they are looking for deals and um, really just trying to make it as doing the the artist thing in Nashville, you know? Um, So um, working with them, it will be more in a capacity of showcase sort of things. So, you know, lots of rehearsals. Um, You generally don't leave town with these artists. Um, You know, you play, you may showcase at the many venues around Nashville and, um, showcase for publishing first and then showcase for uh, management and then a label next, you know, like uh, booking and stuff, you know, so there's, there's a lot of work to be had doing that sort of thing. Um, Generally those calls I find come from one of my friends who is just on, who have gotten that call first. Um, I find that at least me personally, I'm not really a first call with those people, but um, generally a friend of mine will know them or be wrangling them or even producing them. And then they'll be like, Hey, we need a guy to come in and, you know, stay in town and do all this stuff. Um, So uh, um, those calls will generally come from my friends, sometimes from like an independent management company or a a fresh management company who may have just signed them, uh, depending on where they're from, uh, where they are in their career, really. Okay. So that comes back to, you're saying that sometimes a, a publishing company or a management company will reach out. They're reaching out to you to come play. Is that right? Uh, yes, because uh, um, a lot of times with these artists, it's like uh, up until they they get signed to a label, it's like it's very it's very sort of grassroots. Um, they're trying to build, and they're you know like uh, I, I think it resembles probably like a startup company sort of deal. So like you know someone sort of like dealing with the musician side of things, but they may not be a manager. They just maybe have taken on the role because they believe in the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that's a pretty common thing. And so um, a lot of times they, they may not know anything about really dealing with musicians. So, you know, they may give me a call if they know them or one of my friends call and my friends will, um, they call me or something like that. So if a management or a publisher, whoever that is working with the artist and then that, that company connects with you they contact you specifically to come play whatever so that kind of goes back to our conversation at the beginning of you know you went to college with some of these people most likely right and yeah. they, you know so you know some of these people and they know you and so they're like hey i know jason i know you can he's going to play for this play really well for this person i'm going to reach out to him so it comes back to that relationship thing that we were talking about earlier yeah 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 like and the longer you live in nashville the more relationships you have so the the more I find the 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 higher percentage of not, uh, you have of getting those opportunities, you know. So 
Yeah, networking is so important, you know, and so important to, to keep doing it and so important to uh, really not forget about anybody either that you've connected with, you know, mm-hmm. like losing losing connections that you've already um, networked with, I, I find is a pretty common thing. It's something that I'm pretty bad about, but um, it's just something that you, I find that I don't think about that much. I'm always thinking about adding to my sort of network and then you forget that if you don't keep up with people, you're actually removing people from your network too, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, all right, let's switch gears for a minute because we're we're sitting here and I'm looking around your place and there are guitar amps and and uh, pedals and guitars everywhere and we're both guitar players mm-hmm. and I love I, I could sit and just stare at this stuff I just love it um, but as a guitar player I love to kind of get your thoughts on your favorite instruments your favorite amps and pedals and like what how do, how do you create your sound like this is the sound of Jason Brooks. Yeah. Right, Every, everybody's kind of like Brad Paisley. You know his sound as soon as it, he hits a hit a note. Mm-hmm. You know it's Brad Paisley. Keith Urban. You know Keith Urban as soon as he starts playing. You know you don't have to hear their voice singing. You can tell by their tone in their in their guitars and their amps, like who that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and which is a fascinating thing to me because it's all the same equipment, right? Right. right. You know, it's like, but there's some configuration that that makes um, that makes an a player specific to their sound, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd love to know kind of how you've created your sound. Mm. Yeah. So Has anybody uh, ever asked you that question before? No, I've never gotten that question before. <laughs> <laughs> but I can talk about gear all day, so I'm good. Right. Well, let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, uh, you guys can't see my apartment right now, but uh, um, I've got a bunch of amps, a bunch of guitars. Um, mainly amp choices, I find, really comes down to three main choices. Um, I, I'm, this is fairly common knowledge, but I'll just go over it for anyone who doesn't doesn't know this. Um, there's really a Marshall-type amp. There's a uh, Vox AC30-type amp, and there's a like a Fender-type amp, kind of like a deluxe sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you don't depart from those three sorts of amps. So um, I've got all three, and uh, I, I honestly... I honestly have learned through the years to use the different voicings to my advantage. Um, you know, when, when we talk about um, like your sound and stuff like that, um, first of all, I believe it firstly comes through your fingers, you know, like uh, because you can have 10 different guitar players play through the same different amp and guitar and they'll sound somewhat different, you know, right. some very different depending on their playing styles and stuff like that and how hard you hit on the strings and stuff. Um, uh but I've learned that I've learned to kind of have my own sounds through the like three different types of sounds. I guess is the best way to put it. So like I have the way I play through my Fenders and the way I play through my Marshalls and the way I play through my Voxes. You know, they're like slightly different because you want to get a slightly different thing from them. You know, mm-hmm. um, I used to believe that it was just your sound was just your sound and you could, you could force the amp to do what you want. And I just realized that, you know, like it's not really worth fighting with something, you know, it's like, might as well just give it what, give what it takes you or take what it gives you. And like, you know, you know, like just have a great to really accommodate, accommodate what, what it's giving you, you know, accommodating the strengths of what's really going on with the amps, you know, yeah. rather than to fight it and be like, this is my sound, you know, this is my sort of thing. Um, because I find that, you know, my sound comes fairly naturally in a lot of ways because, you know, like just the way that my, um, fingers are and the way that I strike, uh, the strings with my right hand, you know, I find you can, you can make guitar sound like a lot of things like that, you know? Sure. Um, the way I attain certain sounds, I mean, it's through a lot of different guitars. Um, you know, like uh, each guitar sounds different. As a guitar player, you need so many guitars. You know, like uh, thank you. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People say, don't you have enough guitars? No. Oh, I get that. I you get never that. have enough guitars, do you? I get that all the time. I asked someone, I asked someone the other day uh, who asked me that. I was, like, I was like, well, why would you need more than one screwdriver? You know, you got one, you know, and it's because there's different, different applications, you know? Yeah, that's a great analogy. I've never heard that before, but that makes total sense, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to bring that up every time I get flack for <laughs> buying another <laughs> instrument. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of like your sound, I think that, I think that you're sort of born with a sound, um, just naturally, just the way you, that you sound on a guitar. It's sort of like, I, th I think that then you can sort of, uh, you can sort of build your pedal board to sort of accentuate the way that you want your sound to come off, you know, and then throw your amp in the back end and sort of like sum it all together, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, I feel like, but I feel like it comes from you and I feel like you modify that sound through your pedals and I feel like you sum it all up with your amps. Okay. Um, so then you can kind of, and then you can play around with that, you know, like the summing that you do at the back end with your amps, you know, because the amp does so much to color your sound. It's like change the amp, you change, you totally change your sound, you know, and play to the strength of that amp. You know, mm -hmm. like I think that, um, I think you can develop many different sounds off of your own style, I guess, and still bring your own style to things, you know. Yeah. I think that's what's really important as an instrumentalist is to really understand what your voice is on an instrument, you know, mm -hmm. and no one, no, knowing when to tone that down when things need to be a little more generic sounding and know when that really needs to come out and you need to color things. You sure. Know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's great. And cause you're playing Les Pauls. I'm looking around here. I got, I see a Strat, uh, Gibson, a 335. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, like a SG over there. SG. Yeah. You know. Those, those two over there, no one can see them, but uh, they're actually on loan from Gibson right now. So I might have to give those back. Um, oh really? But, uh, do you yeah. have a, do you have a deal with them with Gibson as a player? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, they gave me the, the less that gold top over there. They gave me a 335. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. And, um, that I've, I'm just borrowing those two, the, the two over there right now that we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, just all kinds of instruments. I'm more of a Gibson guy. It's just sort of, it's, it, that's just more of a personal preference sort of thing. Sure. You know, like I know a lot of guys are Fender guys and grew up Fender guys. And, um, you know, uh, you certainly need the Fender sounds. So that's why I go to that. But uh, I, I certainly gravitate toward Gibsons. You know, I just I just like the big old humbucker sound, you yeah. know, like grew up, grew up listening to the classic rock, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. So that that is a good lead in to the next, to my next question, you bringing up um, endorsement deals. Yeah. So, you know, uh, especially for guitar players or, well, for any, for any, um, especially for any musician, um, that wants to play professionally. And the, one of the dreams is always, I want an endorsement deal. I want to get an endorsement with a company. I want Gibson to endorse me. I want Fender to endorse me. I want, you know, Evans Drumheads to endorse me, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, how, how do you go about doing that for people who are listening that, are, who don't have that and are wanting to. It's like, how do you get an endorsement with a company that you want to work with? Do you reach out to them? Do they reach out to you? And if they reach out to you, why do they reach out to you? And does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So um, uh, starting off, I think it's pretty difficult to get an endorsement deal when you don't have a lot going on. Actually, at any point when you don't have a lot going on, it's sort of difficult to get a uh, endorsement deal, particularly from like guitar guitar um companies because the the sort of the idea is that you know like if they get, lend you a guitar then you're going to play it in front of a ton of people maybe they put it on tv and stuff like that you know so that's that's what they get out of it so um i think i think that really the first 
the first way to approach an endorsement deal is to think about how does this company benefit from having me play their instrument? Because if they can't see that, they're not going to give you anything. Um, sure. And they're not to, or they won't extend you um, uh, discounts and stuff like that. Um, but uh, for someone who's looking for like a Gibson deal or something like that, I would say to start out, um, I would say try and pursue a um, an endorsement deal from a smaller company first. Um, because like, there's so many new companies, there's so much new technology that's on the scene in the music industry being invented all the time. There's always people looking for, uh, people to push their products, you know, and especially if they're new, they may not be, have access to like, uh, like a slash or a Keith Urban or something like that to push their products. So they need somebody. So, um, I would say start there because, um, once you get an endorsement deal, I feel like other companies will look at you and be like, okay, this guy's not going to take our stuff and disappear and steal it. You know, like that's, right. that's a big that's a big issue, frankly, with, uh, um, really, well, uh, I say it's, I say it's a big issue because it's a big fear for, um, uh, and not in our, um, for like, yeah, in our, uh, our artist relations people. So I assume it happens a lot. And I've heard stories about people just disappearing with like three and $4,000 guitars. Really? I've never, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. So that's interesting to, and so that, that makes companies weary of wanting to do endorsements, I would assume, obviously. Yeah. Somebody's going to run off with your products and you're losing thousands of dollars because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like, that's a, that's a big thing they're screening for. So I think if you don't pull off that vibe, that's a very that's a very good place to start, for yeah. sure. Um, but, and so that's why I'm talking about um, starting with a small company because then you can kind of show other people that you're not going to disappear their stuff. Right. Um, and then once you do that, you know, like, uh, um, really endorsements and how busy you are and how where what level your career is at they, they're both going tandem together so you know if you're if you're working with an artist and you're on bus and you're doing like 100 dates a year or something like that you know uh you'll have a lot easier sell of a time uh, a lot easier sell to uh um hit up a, a like someone like gibson and be like hey we're playing 10,000 seat arenas 100 of them we might get tv you know like can i just borrow one you know mm -hmm. um because it's been my experience that at least at my level um I don't get given a lot of things. I usually have to ask for them. Um, but uh, if it's the right situation, then um, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to get, get those things. You know, um, I'll, uh, I'll be very strategic. I try to be very, very strategic about asking because I feel like, you know, you don't want to wear out the person that's, you know, like answering emails and stuff like that. If you're, if you're asking them for a free guitar every day, you know, you probably, you probably get your email blocked or something like that, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, I think if you establish a, a relationship and that's really the important part, like we've been talking about, yep. once you establish a relationship with like a Gibson person or something like that, then, you know, uh, like I did, I just did Kelly Clarkson a couple months ago, you know, like in a situation like that, it's perfectly like that's where I've had the most success taking an instrument and be like, Hey, I'm going to put this in front of 25, 50,000, 50 million people or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like may I, may I borrow this for six months and then we can we revisit later or something like that. And yeah. they're much more open to that, you know, that's cool. Um, so when you got your Gibson deal endorsement deal, did you reach out to them specifically or did they see that you were working with a smaller company like you talked about? And how did you, if I can ask you this, like, how did you end up getting that particular deal with Gibson worked out? Yeah, totally. So, um, 
like I think I've been known to be a Gibson player since I moved to town because um, I was I was actually approached like ten years ago to get a Gibson endorsement and foolishly I turned it down because you know being a newbie I was like ah I don't need to pursue this so when we talk about like missing opportunities and stuff like that obviously I could <laughs> I could have could have taken that one and it would have been a lot better but uh, um, the way I got that one was. Um, I, f I feel like I feel like a good way to sort of make start making contact with like a company that you're wanting to pursue a, an, an endorsement with is to when you're busy and you're having success in your in your field you know like just start like posting on Instagram and start tagging them and be like you know like hey we just did you know like uh, uh, Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville you know like you know like sold out show or something like that you know and just tag them or something like that you know sure just just so they're aware so you know like because like oftentimes they're not really out there looking for people like at a certain level they're not really looking for people, mm -hmm. you know, like it's either their people are known like slash and they just like try and pursue endorsements with them or something like that. Or maybe it was a mutual thing. Um, but I feel like if you make early contact and you start letting them know what you're doing, even before you reach out and contact them, I, f I feel like that's a very good idea. Um, and that's really what I did with um, G Gibson is uh, I was just, you know, whenever I do something kind of, kind of, flashy or something like that i'd uh um i sort of tag them and stuff like that um i i had a deal pre-existing with um uh diadario yeah so they sort of so they knew i could be trusted with an endorsement deal i feel like um but really just kind of like just wait for the right moment and then uh, i believe i was i did a music video um and it was gonna be you know like it was gonna show the instrument a lot so um i reached out and borrowed my gold top for um for that shoot and then you know it, it ended up getting a lot of sh uh, showing on the outdoor channel so I, I think they just decided that it was enough uh, publicity for it to be worth the instrument so they just let me hang on to it you know nice and um you know and uh, the thing is too is that you know like another another benefit is that if you're a successful musician you know down the further down the road you know i've put that same instrument you know uh, on uh, I put on the Today Show and Kelly Clarkson and a couple of music videos. And, um, you know, so like it, it wasn't just that one thing. It was sort of like, you know, like throughout the course of this relationship, it's been, you know, very mutually or mutually beneficial, I feel like. Sure. Now, is that when you're playing those uh, those TV shows, is that is that playing with Cassidy or is that like a mix of M Mickey and Cassidy and Danielle or, or how is that? Working out. Uh, let's see. So it, uh, my my late night show or my TV show performances have been sort of linear and it's just gone with the artists I was playing with. So first first couple with were with Maddie and Tay. We did Fallon and Letterman and Today Show. Um, and then went over to Danielle Bradbury. We did Today Show. And then um, with uh, Cassidy, that's when we did um, Kelly Clarkson. But it wasn't all at the same time. It was very much it kind of came along with the artists that I was playing with. And when they got the opportunity, I got the opportunity as well. Yeah. So let, let's talk about playing... Um, TV shows versus playing theaters versus playing arenas. I mean, you've played kind of the spectrum of, of venues, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what's your favorite type of venue versus your not so favorite type of venue, maybe? And like, what's the difference? What do you see the difference or feel the difference is in playing these different, different types of places? You know, as a player, how does it affect you to play one over the other? Does that make if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a that's a really good question because there I feel like there's a pretty significant difference between depending on what venue you're playing at. Um, my personal favorite, I like uh, I like rock clubs because the 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 crowd's right up on you. 
you know, like it's yeah. loud, everyone's excited, you know, you can really interact with the crowd, um, which is something that I feel like has kind of like gone away since we've, we've moved to inner monitors. Um, I watched something the other day, um, there were, people were still on wedges back in like the 70s and 80s, and yep. you could see them interacting with the crowd and feel how the crowd was reacting to their, their music. And I was like, unless you have audience mics, it's like, which, you know, like still it's like, a, it's there's like a filtering effect to it. It's like, you don't really have that interaction with the audience anymore. And, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get into bigger places, venues like, uh, like theaters and, um, stadiums and stuff like that, you know, you, it's a little bit more, uh, it's definitely different energy. It's a little bit less personal one-on-one sort of situation, but, you know, obviously still a blast when you can play for, you know, 40 or 50,000 people. Sure. (laughs) You know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, some of those big venues get, get pretty crazy sometimes, but, um, uh, TV is very different because it's very, you don't have that energy that, you know, like a rock club or a stadium or something like that would have, you know, like it's usually, it's usually either really early in the morning or like somewhere kind of early afternoon. Um, so like today's show, it's like, you're there at like, you're at the studio at like four in the morning or something oh. like that. Cause, uh, cause the show starts so early. Right. Yeah. And you had to play like it was seven or 8 AM their time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the thing is, with at least with that, I've never done any of the other morning shows, but for that one, like, um, they have to sound check you before the the show actually starts. So it's like, and the sh- the show's on at like, what four or five in the or five or six in the morning or something yeah. like that. So you know, you're up there, you're out of your hotel, and you know, you're about to like do this thing, and you know, like. Uh, you know, like at least for me, it's a pretty stressful situation. I, I kind of describe it as almost like a traumatic experience because really, um, okay, yeah, just because of just like once you get done, you're like, I cannot believe the amount of stress that was, <laughs> you know, because uh, you know, like, um, uh, I've done let's see, there's I've done two segments of the Today Show. The 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 second one I did was um, it was on the Fallon side. It was actually in the Fallon building and um. That was pre-taped by 15 minutes. So if you like, if something went wrong, like you could get saved or something like that. Um, I've also done the live segment where it's like you get about a minute to like run on, set up your like, get make sure your stuff is working, like line check, and then you just do it. You know, and then they're like, "Hey, we're back," you know, and here's this guy, and then you play for live to like I don't know, like estimated. 25 to 50 million people. Right. It's like, you know, the mind games you're having to play, at least that I have to play when I'm ever in that situation of just like, it's like, it's like stay focused. Right. You know? It's yeah. crazy. It's interesting because I've wondered about that because I've, you know, you've played um, those shows. I've got some other friends that have played on those shows. And, you know, I mean, granted, we've played, like, so we, we talked earlier, we played on Nashville together and all that's pre recorded. And, you know, you're technically, miming i mean you're we're really playing but we're playing along to something that's already pre-recorded so yeah um and they can take over and over and over as they need to but when you're playing live tv for millions of people um that's something i've always kind of wondered about like what that actually feels like uh and i I mean i've played live tv for things before but not the today show i haven't played you know that big um but just the i don't want to say the stress level because I think for some people it that's, is that's accurate. That, oh, that is accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, for me I, at least, I uh, take that back. No, <laughs> yeah. So you know, for some people it's going to be a stress level. For some people it's just an excitement level because they just feed off of that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, when sometimes when I'm playing, getting ready to play live, my hands start sweating and I'm like constantly like, like I need a towel because it's just like oh my gosh, you know, it's like. But it's not that I'm physically nervous or, or mentally or emotionally nervous, or whatever. 
I don't think I am. I don't feel like I am. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I'm like, man, man, my hands won't stop sweating. What's going on? You know? Yeah. And it's just like you're aware of the situation. Your body knows like this, what's happening, and maybe your your mind doesn't. I guess. Yeah. Um. So it's just an interesting thing that that we all go through when we do it, and it's different for everybody. It's just, and it's an interesting thing that how we all react to that sort of situation, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, like, I, you know, like you're, you're correct in saying that it's different for everybody. I've, I've talked to people who just like, they just do it like it's no thing, you yeah. know, which I don't, I, I don't understand how you can get to that level. Cause every time I've done a show like that, like I know it's coming and still, I just like, you know, like the stress level just goes through the roof for me. Um, but, uh, um, uh, I've, yeah, like when I when I did it, like the first thing, my first TV I ever did was the Today Show live segment. So that was like, for, I was, it was it was pretty freaky. Um, fortunately, I got through it and everything was fine, you know. Like, uh, but like, um, that level of stress I experienced was like it was to the point where like I was like sort of like coming in and out with my muscle memory in terms of like playing because like you don't think about playing an instrument as generally muscle memory. Um, at least I don't. But really, when you're playing, it's all muscle memory. You know, it's like you don't, you're not really thinking about doing it. You're not thinking about put put finger, put put ring finger on fret thirteen and bend right. three centimeters or something like that. You just do it. You know. Yeah. Um, and when you're really freaked out, or at least when I was really freaked out, that kind of comes. You don't really suddenly your hands stop doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And that's a really scary moment. And I experienced that, and it was it was terrifying. <laughs> um, but you'll do it again, though, if somebody called you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. Because that's what we do, and that's what we love to do. It's like it's some of these things are, are terrifying, but they're also what we live for. You know, and what a what a space to live in of, like, terror and excitement all at the same time, you know? It's, it's certainly this funny thing of, like, you know, you're like, this is what I live for, and this is freaking me out, you know? Right. Um, I've, I've, it's funny in those situations I've learned, at least for my own preparation to like, to really just like, um, put myself in the situation beforehand to where I know I'm going to forget things and then be like, and do what I was was kind of talking about before. I'll be like, okay, if I forget, I'll test myself and be like, if I forget in this moment, this song, this finger goes here on this one. And that's generally what my prep is for, um, those TV shows and stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. like just knowing it's coming and be like, be like, don't freak out. Like prepare for when it's gonna happen, you'll be good, you know. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so when you're out touring now, um, what are are you playing for? You're playing for Cassidy currently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Is she like the only artist you're playing for right now, or are you playing for some other artist? Do you typically, when you're playing for for artists like Cassidy or or Mickey or Maddie and Tay or whoever, um, are you under contract to work with? only that particular artist while you're with them or do you have the freedom if you're, if they're not touring are you able to go out and play for another artist at the same time how does that typically work for you uh for me um generally i've been working with artists who who are just amazing at letting you like like be there for them but then also uh be there for other artists as well um and i mean that to me is like really the key to like really sort of making a good living in in nashville you know um i like as as of right now, I'm only playing for one artist. There's a, there was some health issues sort of like wrapped up in that. I have like this thing called thoracic outlet syndrome that didn't get diagnosed until like a month ago. So <laughs> I kind of had to like back down to just playing for Cassidy. But um, I'll use let's see, 2019 as an example um, because that was like the last time that everything was really cooking. And 
I think this would be a good picture of like just like kind of like my full time what my full time would look like. Sure. Um, so uh, 2019, I was touring with uh, Cassidy. Um, we opened for uh, Mary Morris on her tour, her girl tour, um, and we did that, and then we headlined the uh, CMT Next Women of Country tour. Uh, and um, while I was touring with her, that pretty much took up all my time. But um, after that, we kind of went, we kind of like chilled out a little bit, and then when that happens. I played for her. I made casting my priority. I had a guy, a writer buddy who signed with Sony named Ross Ellis I was playing with. Um, and I would do that when I could make it with Cassidy. And then I was also playing with this group called Gone West that uh, that was Kobe Calais' country band. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, um, they were, that, that work was sparse enough to where like I could just fit it in kind of in between those other two artists. Um, and then, you know, I was still doing the, the in-town sort of like showcase stuff along with that and, um, you know, like going out with independents and, and touring with them as well. So uh, that's what really my schedule looks like for me. Um, uh, fortunately, all the, all the artists were like super cool about me, like playing for other people. Like, I think they understand that, you know, you have to make a living. So um, yeah. at least that's what I told them. So, and, you know, they seem cool with it. But um, like, yeah, like uh, my, like my thing is like, uh, like I would love to play with like one artist and have that take care of all my bills, but you know a lot of times it's not reality. And you know like even when that is a reality, I'll still go out and play with other people because like you know, um, you know like as this pandemic is like sort of just washed over the industry, it's like I feel like the people who are most diverse are the people that are like doing okay. You know, yeah, absolutely. So so okay. So it's interesting that you you talk about those things and and playing for all the different artists because even as you know, these are major label artists that yes. you're playing for, right? Mm -hmm. And some it, of them, yeah, yeah. But like Maddie Tay, Maddie and Tay, Danielle Bradbury, Cassidy Pope, uh, Kobe Calais, Gone West Country Band. Um, you know, and some of these artists like that that are all signed artists that people know. They're all major label artists, right? And um, and people know who they are. They're selling out arenas and stadiums and theaters or whatever. But as a musician. Even though you're playing for these big artists, you still have to go play for somebody else. Yes. Right? Because you're not, we think, oh, I'm playing for whichever one of these big artists it is, and I'm set up. I'm good to go. I don't, you know, this is going to carry me through, and I don't have to worry about anything. But as soon as that tour is over with, or as soon as that show is over with, that's it. I've got to go find something else because it's not going to carry you through like you think it's going to, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm glad you brought this up because this is like my main rant in the music industry. Okay. This is hilarious. Yeah, when you're playing for an artist, you know, things can be going really well. You know, like, especially if you're, you know, like your artist is super busy and you're doing like 100 dates a year, you're making like $30,000, dollars a year, maybe even, you know, I mean, it can go up to like 80, you know, six figures. As a player. As a player, Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's really easy in those situations, to, like kind of like you're saying, to be like, man, I'm killing it, you know, and, and you are. But the problem is, is that I feel like there's a misdiagnosis of where that is actually coming from, because I feel like because I feel like I feel like the music industry is only off of is really based off of success, you know, and when you're touring with an artist, you're not touring off of your own success. Someone else. It's the artist's success. You know, the artist moved to town, networked got maybe a publishing deal, got a record deal, wrote with all these artists, got these songs, recorded these songs, paid for the studio, and then is on tour, and then hired the guy who is you, you know? 
you didn't do any of that stuff. So really all the success that you're having is really coming from someone else's success, you know? Right. So then when, you know, like say when the pandemic hits or something like that, you know, like an all touring stops, it's like, you know, suddenly their success goes away and you're left with your success, which is if you don't have a lot or you didn't see, if you haven't developed that a lot, then, you know, you just don't have it. You don't have anything to go off of, you know? Sure. So I, I, you know, it's, I, I think it's so important that you create your own success and you think about it that way, you know? So, you know, like when I play with independent artists, when I get those calls or something like that, I consider that my own success because it was generated by really me beating the bushes, networking, being there, you know, obviously the artist still needs, you know, you still need artists to play, you know, like, um, so, uh, you know, I, I do some other work too. I do some producing and some composition work too. And that, that's an, comes, comes from that same vein of it's like create your own success. It's like, because without it, you're just an employee. You're not, you know, like. And I think I think you can fool yourself into thinking that you're you you've had success when you really haven't, you know. And that's such a dangerous mindset to have, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's like my rant. Sure, <laughs> no, that's, to everybody. that's great. I mean, that's good stuff. That's what that's what the audience needs to hear. They need to understand how this all works behind the scenes. And when you know when things are great and you're staying busy, that's fantastic. But as soon as there's a lull there. You've got to, you've got to have something coming up. You got to find something to do right now. Let me ask you this: for as much as you can can say or willing to say, um, I don't I don't want details because it's none of our business. But um, you know, financially, like, what would you? How would you encourage people? You know, when you get into this part of the business and you're out, you're out touring, you're and you're making good money. Mm-hmm. Right, but you know that that's going to stop at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, do you tell, do you live your life and say, I'm just gonna, I'm making the money, I'm gonna go spend it on whatever, and I'm done, and I'm at the end of the day, I'm broke, or do you in, invest some of that money and try to put it aside so that it's building on its own, like the, so you've got stuff happening behind the scenes. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll use the example of 2019, which is um, my. Uh, my last, uh, well, it was the year before the pandemic, obviously. Um, that was, that was financially, that was my best year. And I basically still lived like had nothing else going on because of, you know, like things are up and down in the music industry, you know? So me personally, like I put away every cent I can really to, to this fund that I have. That's like just an emergency fund for when the work dries up, you know, because, you know, like, you know, you can certainly like go out and spend all your money and it's fun and you could find something else. But, you know, I find that, um, like really the, the real success, at least for musicians is longevity. So the way that you can really help yourself with that is have, have things like backup plans, like emergency funds and stuff like that. And, um, uh, just really just backup plans upon backup plans. And, you know, like uh, taking care of your money is such a huge part of that, you know, like um, even if you have, like you, you could potentially have a really big gig, get off of that gig for six months and then have another gig come up. That's just as big. But if you didn't save any money, you might have to move home and like in those six months and completely miss that next opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, it's, it's about staying, staying in, staying in the business. I feel like, you know, and for me, that means saving, saving lots of money, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I don't, you know, like I don't really mind that. I'm not really a stuff person. Like you, you guys aren't in this apartment right now, but it's just music gear and two couches. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I love, and I love it too. It's perfect. Um, but that, that makes total sense, and that's good information that people need to know. It's like, 
you know, it's not just because you come into some money in the process of what you doing, what you love, doesn't mean that you turn around and blow it all and not have anything to show for it. Right. Um, and we've all been there. We've all done it. We've all blown our, yes, you know, guilty. You know, we've all, we've all messed up and thrown money away on things that, um, that we shouldn't have. And we look back and think, man, that was stupid. I should have never done that. I should have been doing this with it instead. Um, so hopefully somebody listening can, can hear the warning signs from us, you know, take it from us, save your money, right? Make, make money, save it, invest it, do something with it. That's not just turning around and throwing it all away and you don't have anything to show for what you've worked so hard for. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, this is, this is great. We could sit and do this for hours and I would love to do that, but um, I know you've probably got some some music to compose or work on. I, I do want to I do want to hit this real quick before we, Yeah, totally. Um, before we wrap up. Shortly before we started the interview, before we started recording, um, we were talking about you've you like myself have gone into the music uh, the TV and film side of music and working in the sync sort of stuff. So that's one of the things that you're doing now. That's an, another part of multiple streams, streams of income. But as far as like when you're playing for the, uh, for some of the artists, you were talking about having to learn like 20, 30, 40 songs in like a week's time mm-hmm. for some of these different artists for different things. Talk about what that is and what that looks like and how you learn, memorize 20, 30 songs, whatever it is, um, in that short amount of time. And why do you do that? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, like, Gigs in Nashville, like they, they fall into two categories when it comes to this sort of thing. It's memorized or not memorized. You know, when you're not memorized, you're generally on uh, charts, you know, that you either the band leader makes for you or you make for yourself. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes things just have to be memorized. So in that case, you know, like I'll start pretty early on, at least listening to the music, um, getting it in my head because it's just much easier to, if you know how the song goes already, you can kind of play it in your head right you know, as you're playing the song and you just kind of know where the song going so I think that's the most important first step for me um, but then just repetition repetition for memorization sort of stuff you know like uh, I'll try and hit a set three or four times a day when I'm really seriously trying to like learn something um, and I find that after about 10 reps 10 to 20 reps for me is when it's really solid in terms of memorization um, this is just something I found but like this is sort of in my because you know like this is something you do often this is just ways that I've found, I've found to sort of improve my efficiency with it because it does take a lot of time. And, you know, the faster you can learn songs, you know, the better because it means the more work you can take and the more money you can make. Um, but uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of the work I do is uh, uh, chart stuff. So when it's charts, it's like you listen to the songs, you know, you chart them out, make sure they're completely accurate. Otherwise, you might get into some trouble. Um, and, like, the more accurate I can make them, the, just the better because then it's like um, just – improves the quality of the performance um and when you're i find that when you're on charts and and you're really solid with the music like you can i find that i can take on a lot more of those than i can the memorize stuff because um with the charts you can like switch from one gig to another and just if your reading's good enough and my, i had to get my reading a lot better to sort of be able to do this but once your reading gets good, you can play a gig on a Monday on charts, and then the next night turn around and play another gig. And like, as long as you you cover your responsibilities in the band, you know, like for a guitar player, like knowing all the siglics and stuff like that. Once you've got that, then um, and you and you can read really well, you've pretty much got it, you know. So that's j- like 
when I'm so when I talk about large numbers of of songs I'm learning in a week, most of them are on charts because you just I can't have me personally I can't have a hundred songs floating around in my head and you know like. Let me ask you this: Are you is someone giving you the charts that you're having to look at, or are you writing out the charts? Uh, most of the time, most of the time these days, I'm writing out the charts. Sometimes you'll get charts from someone else, but I found, and this is this goes back to my old Belmont days of like they t- they teach you that it's easier easier to write read in your own handwriting, and I found that to be true. And uh, also just like writing down writing down a music chart as it's um, as the uh, music is going by is helpful in like learning the music, mm-hmm. you know, for me just to know what kind of changes and harmonically what's happening and stuff yeah. like that. So like with Cassidy. When you're learning her songs, um, you're charting them out yourself to, to learn them? Yeah, like uh, in a, like a major label situation, as a general rule for myself, I'll usually just do it memorized unless it's like, unless it's an ins- unless the, the time or the amount of songs is something that's just not really reasonable to like expect to be memorized. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, for instance, like if you get thrown like a 30 song set or something like that and you have two days to prepare, it's like, there's a sort of this argument that like it's better to be on charts and at least you know you're not gonna like mess up as bad as you would if you try to memorize it and you know like you know like and try and put on the right have the right motivation but in the end like have a worse uh, outcome to it right. You know? um, but uh, it just really depends you know it's sort of a feeling out sort of deal you know for me but you know like I mean there there are sometimes it was just like I just sort of have to do the chart thing because uh, sometimes I'll I'll get like a hundred songs in the week to learn I'm like well. I'm going to memorize this one set and then the rest are just have to be on charge, you know? Yeah. So when you are getting uh, a group of songs, like for Cassidy, you got 20 songs, whatever you got, you have to learn. Um, when we did Nashville together, when they would send us the song that we're going to play, so that just so the audience understands kind of the process of how that worked, they would send us maybe, if we're lucky, we had 24 hours to learn the song, memorize it, and then play it on for TV. Yeah, <laughs> which was crazy, insane. Um, hopefully, we got twenty four hours. And if if I didn't have right. it, if I didn't have it, you know, at that twenty four hour mark, I was getting nervous. Um, but a lot of times, that's what we got, right? But we would get stems of you know, you get the full song, and then you'd have one. The guitar part would be you know, normal volume, and then the rest of the song would be in there, but it's real buried far back, you know, in the distance, so you can kind of tell, okay, this is where it's supposed to be, but you can really hear the part that you have to play, and, e- and each instrument had its own version of that, right? Yeah. Um, so when you're getting a major label, Cassidy or Danielle or whoever, and you're getting their songs that you have to learn, um, do you get something along that line, in a, that stem where you get that part that you need to play louder than the rest of the track, or is it? Are you getting just the CD, the final version of the song, and you just have to you have to hear what it is, even if the parts are buried in in the mix, mm-hmm. or um, or is it a, a kind of combination of the two? How does that typically work that you've seen? Yeah, um, my my experience has been that they'll just send you the record uh, from like iTunes or something like that. Just the like, final record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sometimes you'll get stems. Um, sometimes you can request stems, but a lot of times there's an extra step involved where the producer actually has the stems. And so, or, and so they have to like, they'll have to email them to the, to the management company. The management company have to email them to you, which is, can be a lengthy process. So, um, I find that a lot, just most often I'll get just the album. Um, so, you know, you just, you just 
get a good, what I do is just get a good pair of headphones, just like listen in, try and really get inside of the track and like hear, hear those stems as individually as you can. Um, and then uh, a lot of times, most of the time, if you're playing with another guitar player, you'll get with the other guitar player either on a call or FaceTime or something like that, and you'll actually split the parts and um, basically take take the really important stems or the important parts and just those, pick those as the parts you'll play live. And then when uh, and then just maybe leave a stem in or something like that. If you're running tracks or something like that, maybe you won't. But um, I found that mainly it's sort of your responsibility to sort of pick out a stem even if you aren't aren't sent the individual stems. Um, but uh, everything's different, you know? Sometimes it's certainly easier to get individual stems because you're not, you know, listening really yeah. hard. Yeah, <laughs> well, one of the reasons I bring that up is because as a guitar teacher myself, when I'm teaching a student a song and there's a, a lead line or whatever, a solo or something that I'm having to, to figure out, um, you know, so I can chart it out for them or whatever. When I'm listening, some sometimes a part is buried so far down in the mix that you cannot hear what it is exactly that they're doing. Yeah. Either they're playing it super fast, you know, but just where it lands in the mix, it just, I just can't hear it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when that happens, you kind of have to kind of make it up. And I don't ever like having to make something up. If I'm trying to, to get exactly what this person's part is, that I'm supposed to be teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's why I ask because if it's one thing for me as a guitar teacher to kind of fudge on something that you can't hear. And so you have to kind of, you know, fill in the, fill in the gaps. But Mm -hmm. when you are playing for this artist and you're going out and you're touring and they want it to be exactly what the record says it is, and you can't hear what it is that the record telling you it's supposed to be, uh, you know, where, how much room do you have to kind of fill in the gaps yourself you know, does that make sense? Yeah, you're asking how much leeway you might have with like a part or something like that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Uh, it really all depends. You know, like uh, it, it really depends on the artist. You know, some artists I've played with, some artists I play with, their albums are like very like pop oriented, and then you get with the the live band, and it's like no tracks. They're running a three piece rock outfit kind of thing. It's completely different. You know, and yeah. they they encourage improvisation and you okay. know just bringing it. You know. Um, and there's other, uh, artists I've worked with. It's like, it's like, like the record, exactly like the record, you know? Um, and I, I found that most artists are sort of in the middle ground. Um, mm-hmm. so that's when you sort of run into that issue of, it's like, sometimes this is just that part and it's like, it's just mixed kind of awkwardly or something, or there's just a lot of compression on it or something. Um, yeah, in that case, um, I, at least me personally, I would ask for the stems from the producer or something be like, Hey, this part, we can't hear it. It's just too far down, you know? Um, either that, or if you were to make up a part, uh, at least my process would be like, try and try and get it, you know, obviously put it in the same place where it would be and get it sounding as close as it would be, but really just kind of encapture the, the part, the, like the spirit of the part. Sure. That sounds so weird, but it's like, it's like, it's like, how's it feel? You know, like, how's the city, like, what was the purpose of this part in here? You know? And then instead of trying to copy copy a part and make something that's sort of like like it by identical i almost try i put it in the same place but like think about it's like it's like what is this what is this trying to accomplish in the song you know and then copying that right you know the essence of what they're trying to convey yeah yeah because like a lot of times those buried parts are sort of like doing that anyway so like to to like really just like i feel like when i feel like people feel those parts more than they actually hear them 
and if you can if you can copy the feel of it more than the actual part of it, I feel like then then it will register as like correct or whatever. Right. You know. Sure. That, that makes total sense. Um, I love this because this is stuff that we don't get to talk about very often. You know, and that for musicians, especially guitar players who are wanting to do what you and I get to do for a living, um, this is great information for people to have. So I, I really appreciate it. As yeah. we wrap up, tell us some advice. What would you suggest for people to do or not to do if they want to come to Nashville or to LA or you know any of these places uh, that we do music in? And as a guitar player, like what would you to do on the level uh, that you play that you get to tour and do these things? What are some things that you would suggest people do or not do in that process to be able to be successful to do that? Yeah. Um... I would say probably first as a guitar player to not, not don't find an excuse to not learn the music, like always learn the music, you know, like even if it's like, like we were, we were talking earlier about how uh, sometimes the music gets sent a little late. It's like, it's like always learn it, even if it's late, you know, like always do your best, you know, and sometimes it's not possible, but always do your best to do that. You know, like right. I find, I find that that pays off probably more than anything else, you know, um, and just from like a, a technical standpoint, I'd say you know make sure that your instruments are really well maintained in ter- in terms of like uh, like your intonation is correct, and um, make sure that y- the your the the nut on the guitar is like is not pinching the strings and stuff like that because that can throw your guitar out of tune. And you know nobody wants to listen to an out of tune guitar player you know right. anywhere, but especially in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, general advice, I'd say just you know just don't, you know, like, don't stop working hard. You know, it's like the want it is just the most important part, you know, like, uh, and I find that that's really the, the difference between successful people and not successful people is like the people who want it. And so they're, they're willing to put in the work to do it. You know, and this is probably something that everyone has said, but like, it's, it's so true that, you know, like you have to, you have to consistently show up and put in the work, you know, if you do it, you know, like it eventually will pay off, you know, like you may not get, you know, if you, you may not you may not get lucky immediately, but that's something that you put in the time. It's like you know, eventually you start seeing dividends. You know, start paying, keep paying into it like a like a like a plan or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, work hard, work hard, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's a great way to end it. So work hard. Um, if we would all work hard at everything we did in life, not just in music, but just in life, uh, we would be much better off and much more joyful. I think. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> man thank you so much for being on the show i'm super grateful for your time thanks for letting me come hang out with you in your apartment and your studio here and um and just share your expertise on all the things that you get to do in music and i'm super grateful for it and excited that you're out touring all over the place with these amazing artists that i love to listen to and just to know that you're a part of what of their music and what they're doing um is exciting for me so i'm grateful for you and for your friendship and Hope you have a great rest of the day. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. This was great. Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Jason Brooks today. I know we're a couple of guitar players geeking out on gear and tones and things like that. So if you're not a guitar player, it might not be like, wow, this is amazing because that's not your thing. But let me say this. I think it's important if you're a musician that you understand as much as you can. Now, this is not always going to be the case. You can't always understand every instrument just really thoroughly. But if you have an opportunity to learn something about an instrument and how it works and the sounds and it creates and things like that, it's just going to make you a better artist and a better musician all around. So any chance that you can get to learn something, 
about someone else's instrument, even if you don't play it specifically, I think that's really important to do. So I hope that even if this might not be specifically your type of a conversation, that you were able to sit and listen and learn some things and maybe, you know, maybe it works for you in the future. You can take that information that we've talked about today and that you can apply it for something, you know, in the future with your other band members or whatever. So again, thank you for listening, taking the time out today to do that. Um, again, be, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. I know I say it's every week, but this, you guys are how this thing gets spread all over the world and so grateful that it has gone all over the world. So thank you for that. Uh, but subscribe to it if you haven't. Please tell your friends about it. Ask them to subscribe if they like this type of podcast and these types of conversations. Uh, it just helps everyone out. So thank you again. Look forward to our conversation next week. So be sure to come back and we'll talk to you soon. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.